Amen, amen. You can have a seat. It's good to be with you this morning, church. Hope you are doing well. As, as Johnny mentioned, my name is Travis. I'm the pastor here. Uh, so again, thank you for being here. It, it's such a wonderful time to just worship with all of you this morning. If it is your first time, just want to say a special welcome to you. We are thrilled and excited that you are here uh, worshiping with us. We, we see that as a great honor that you would be our guest today. Uh, now, we would love a chance just to show you how much we appreciate you being here. So if you wouldn't mind doing me a huge favor, stop by our welcome table right outside as you go back back out in the hallway. We have a free gift we'd love to put in your hands today before you head home. We also have these little welcome cards uh, right there on the table. If you don't mind filling one of those out, that comes back to me and really just gives me a chance to give you a phone call or send you an email and just say thank you and, and just let you know how much we really do appreciate you being here. So uh, church, before we dig into what we have today, I just want to kind of let you know where we're going over the next couple of weeks. So throughout the summer, we've been in this series that we've called Habits of Grace, where we've been digging into this idea and concept of spiritual disciplines, these, these uh, avenues of grace these gifts of grace that God has given us as, as a means to draw close to him, to learn more about him, to grow in our faith and our love and our knowledge of Jesus. And, and, and hopefully that leads to us being more like Jesus, right? Because that's the goal of the Christian life is we want to live like Jesus. We want to have a deep love and faith in Jesus. And it doesn't just magically happen, right? We don't just wake up one day like that. We have to, to, to come to God in the means that he's given us. And he's given us these, these avenues of grace these spiritual disciplines to make a, a habit, a regular pattern of our life. So we've, we've talked about, you know, some of the more personal disciplines such as reading Bible, uh, praying, meditation, fasting. We've also talked about corporate disciplines like gathering together as a church, exactly what we're doing right now. This in and of itself is a spiritual discipline. We've talked about serving and last week we talked about generosity. Um, so we've been digging into this idea over the summer. So we're going to uh, spend today talking about our last topic, our last specific spiritual discipline. And then for the next two Sundays, so next Sunday and the Sunday after that, we're going to take two weeks to say, okay, we've talked about all of these different spiritual disciplines. What does that mean? What does it look like to respond to what we've learned over the summer? So we're going to spend a week talking about how do we personally respond, and then what does it mean for us to corporately, as a church, respond to what we've seen over these summer weeks. So that's where we're going the next two weeks. And then the Sunday after that, so three Sundays from now, Sunday, uh, August 20th, we are going to start a brand new sermon series. And I mentioned that last week. I told you I'd let you know what we were doing uh, today. So for uh, the fall, where we're going to be spending a lot of our time, uh, it's beginning on Sunday, August 20th, is we're going to walk verse by verse through the New Testament book of Philippians. So that is going to be our new sermon series starting on August 20th, and as you can see, we're, we're calling it Finding Joy, and that's one of the huge themes of the book of Philippians, is finding our joy, not in our life, not in our circumstances, not in what we have or what we don't have, but in Jesus, because that's where true, lasting, eternal joy comes from. And, and Paul talks a lot about that in the book of Philippians. So we're going to start that on the 20th. That's a great opportunity for, uh, for us to invite people to come and join us on that Sunday. We'll have some little invite cards. Hopefully they'll be here next Sunday. But take advantage of this opportunity. It's a great opportunity as people are going back to school, getting back in the routine. Like summer's just, you know, you're here, you're not here, you're in and out. But, but now we're back to routine, a little bit more normalcy. It's a great opportunity to invite people to come and join us as we begin uh, this, this great book. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I love the book of Philippians. There's so much, there's only four chapters, but there's so much depth in that. And y'all, we are gonna, we're gonna camp out. We're gonna go slowly. We're gonna, we're gonna really dig deep into this book, starting again on 
August 20th. So three Sundays from now, uh, make sure you're here for that. And as I mentioned today, we're going to hit our last specific individual topic on spiritual disciplines. And that uh, today we're going to talk about this idea of, of a Sabbath, of, of resting from our doing, resting from our work, and, and how to, to incorporate that as a, as a spiritual discipline in our lives. So to do that, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, it's the second book in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, uh, again, at our welcome table, we have Bibles that we would love for you to take as our gift to you. Just grab one of those on your way out. And we also will have the verse, uh, all the verses right here on the screen so you can follow along. But if you do have your Bible, Exodus chapter 16, and as you're turning there, it uh, shouldn't take too long. It's only the second book in your Bible. So hopefully you're, you're there pretty quick. But Exodus chapter 16, I just want to kind of give you uh, a background as to what's going on when we come to our passage today. So in, in Exodus, we find out that the, the nation of God, the people of Israel, who at the end of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, was just uh, a few dozens of people, the, the family of Jacob and his sons and their children. Uh, that's really all the nation was at that point. But then you come to Exodus, you fast forward 400 years, and you find out that the, the people of Israel have actually grown into this huge, great nation, just like God promised Abraham, and he's going to build a nation, and, and he does that, but he does it in Egypt. And there was a problem that came in because the people of Israel, as this nation is growing, the Egyptians began to use the people of Israel and, and essentially enslaved them. They, they were slaves to the nation of Egypt, and they were just kind of under their rule and reign and didn't have any freedom, didn't have any voice of their own. And, and that's what we come to at the beginning of Exodus is the people of God are enslaved by the nation of Egypt. And they've been, they begin crying out to God to, to set them free. And God hears the prayers of his people. And if you have any kind of church background at all, even just a nominal one, you've probably heard of Moses and Egypt and the 10 plagues. Well, that's, that's what happens right before Exodus 16, we see, you know, God appear before Moses with the burning bush. And he's like, you're going to go to Egypt and you're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses is like, nope, great idea, God, not doing it. No thanks, not going to do it. But eventually he does. He, he obeys God. He goes to Egypt. And he tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And we know what happens, right? Pharaoh's like, ha yeah, good joke. Not going to happen, right? Not at all. I was like, okay, well, stuff's going to start happening. You're, you're eventually going to give in. So just, he's like, no, I'm not doing it. And then God sends the 10 plagues, right? And just wildness breaks out. We got water turning to blood. We got frost dogs and gnats and flies and hailstorms and boils and darkness over the land. Like it's just all out craziness until we get to the end of the 10th plague and finally Pharaoh's like, okay, all right, you can go. You can go. So the people leave. They have been set free by God from their enslavement and all is right. And it's just amazing and incredible. But then Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his army after the people of Israel. And you know the story, they, they come to the Red Sea and it's like, oh man, we're done, right? We're done. We got no chance of survival. We got the, the army of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at this time, right behind us. And we've got just nothing but ocean in front of us. What are we going to do? And God's like, I got this, right? And he splits the Red Sea and the people walk across on dry ground. Just incredible miracle of God. And he's doing this all to, to take them from Egypt to the land that he had promised for them, that he, that he told Abraham, I'm going to give you this land and the nation's going to reside here in the promised land. So that's what God's doing, right? He's leading his people to the promised land. But in order to get there, they got to cross through miles and miles of just desert and wilderness. And, and you see, if you study Exodus, they make a pit stop at Mount Sinai and that's where God gives the law and some really cool stuff happens there as well. But that's where we come to in Exodus chapter 16. The people have been freed from 
enslavement in Egypt. They've come across dry ground, splitting the Red Sea. They've come out on the other side of that, and now they are in the desert in the wilderness. And there's a problem that happens. There's a problem that happens when you're in the desert. What's very limited in the desert? Food and water. Food and water. So the people are like, wait a minute, that was really cool. We've been set free, but now we're hungry and we're thirsty and there's no hope of food or water. And some of the people are even like, we should just go back to Egypt. And it's like, wait, what? You were in, you hated Egypt. Now you're like, no, we don't have any food and water, so let's just go back. It's like, no, that's crazy. So God comes through in this miraculous way and he provides for his people. And he, he, he literally just rains down this bread from heaven to give people food. And the people call that manna. If you've ever heard that word before, that's what this this is, this miracle bread-like substance that God just rains down for his people, and that happens in Exodus 16. So not only is he providing miracle bread from heaven for his people to gather every day, that, that alone would just be incredible, but God does something else in this chapter that is just amazing and completely reorients his people's lives and schedule. So that's where we pick up in Exodus 16. Starting in verse 21, uh, we're going to start in verse 21, we're going to carry it through to the end of the chapter in verse 36. So Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 21, it says this, they, that's the people of Israel, gathered it, that it is the manna, this miracle bread from God, they gathered it every morning. So every morning they're going out and gathering this bread. And, and God told them, only gather what you need for that day. Because if you get more, it's going to spoil. There's going to be maggots in it. It's not going to be good. And you're not going to be able to eat it. So only get what you need for that day. And you got to do it in the morning because it's going to melt later on in the day. So verse 21, they gathered it every morning. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, four quarts apiece, and all the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow, the seventh day, tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and set aside everything left over to be kept until morning. So they set it aside until morning as Moses commanded, and it didn't stink or have maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field. For six days you will gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Yet on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they did not find any. Then, Moses, uh, then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? Understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he will give you two days' worth of bread." Each of you stay where you are. No one is to leave his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. The house of Israel named the substance manna. It resembled coriander seed and was white and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Two quarts of it are to be preserved throughout your generations so that they may see the bread I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Moses told Aaron, take a container and put two quarts of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be preserved throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron placed it, in, placed it before the testimony to be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they reached the border of the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. They used a measure called an omer, which held two quarts. Okay, so... In this, a lot of things are happening, right? We talked about the miracle bread, but again, God does something else in this passage. Not only does he miraculously provide for his people, he completely changes the way they orient their schedule. 
He tells them you are to gather, essentially you are to work, because that was their job at this time. They're, like, they're in the wilderness. They're no longer slaves. Like What else they have to do? They have to gather their food. This is their work. So he says, you're going to work for six days, but then on the seventh day, you're going to rest. You're going to have a Sabbath. No more working on that day, right? There's going to be work for six days, rest for one day. That was the pattern that God sets forth for his people. And that word Sabbath means exactly what we're saying. It means a, a day, an actual day, a, a literal 24-hour day, a complete day of rest and no work. That's what God calls his people to in this moment. And this sets forth a pattern that the nation of Israel carried on for generations and generations, not just in the Old Testament, but it carries forward into the New Testament as well. So this, is, this idea of Sabbath is, is spoken about throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture. And, and it's actually really important to God. And we know that. We know that this idea of Sabbath is extremely important to God because he includes it in the Ten Commandments. Right, the Ten Commandments. I mean, this is, these Ten Commandments are like revered throughout centuries, right? These are the first Ten Commandments that God gave his people in the law. They are, they are a big deal, right? Like this was clearly, God was like, hey, pay attention to these ten things, right? Because everything else flows out of those Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a big deal. Well, number four of the Ten Commandments is keeping the Sabbath. Look at what Exodus 20 says. This is when the law is given the Ten Commandments, or in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. So again, this is the pattern that God has set forth for his people. And it's so important that he included it in the law and was basically like, y'all got to do this. Okay, this is a big deal. Make your schedules look like this. You work for six days and you rest on the seventh day. So that's what I want to spend our time talking about, this idea of a Sabbath, the importance of resting from our work, from our doing. So we're going to talk about why, why, it's still, why I believe this is still important for us to practice today, why I believe you as a believer, if you're here, you put your faith in Jesus, I believe that you should practice this idea of, of a Sabbath, of a one day where you're not working. So why is that? And then how can we practically do this and incorporate it into our lives and make it a spiritual discipline, exactly what we've been talking about this summer. So that's where we're going today. So if you're taking notes, our first point, first point, why do we practice, why should we practice the Sabbath? Point number one, the Sabbath is part of God's design. The Sabbath is part of God's design. Now, because the Sabbath is included in the Ten Commandments, it's included in the Mosaic law, the Israelite law, oftentimes it's just associated with the law, right? It's just, a, so it's just, that's just part of the law. The Sabbath is just part of the Mosaic law. So there's a lot of debate as to whether we as Christians living in this day and age, right? We're not in the Old Testament anymore. We're not part of the nation of Israel anymore. So like, what, what, what does it look like for us as New Testament believers to follow God? Well, a lot of people would argue, well, the Sabbath, that's just part of the Mosaic law. So we don't really need to even discuss that. You want to have a Sabbath? Great. You don't? Great. Whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter anymore, right? Like, so, so the argument kind of goes something like this. So it's like, well, because it's part of the law, 
we as New Testament believers are not bound to the Old Testament law, right? Like we're not, we're not obeying and, and having to obey the Old Testament law. We, we know that, right? The New Testament even says that Jesus fulfills the law. The law has no ownership boundary on us anymore, right? Like we're not supposed to, we don't have to follow the Old Testament law. So because the Sabbath is part of the law, we don't have to have the Sabbath anymore. You can do with it as you please, right? So that's kind of the argument. So the first question we need to answer is, is should I, as a New Testament Christian, believer in Jesus in 2023, should I even concern myself with the Sabbath? Should, should this even be a thing that I do? And again, some would say, no, Jesus has fulfilled that. You don't have to, you're not bound by that anymore. But I would argue that we should still practice this. That this is still important for us to do today. Now, I would agree that it's not a command, right? This is not a matter of sinful disobedience, right? It's not like, oh, I didn't have a Sabbath. Well, oh, you rotten sinner, you terrible person, and, and Jesus doesn't love you anymore, right? Like, that's not the idea that we're talking about here. So, no, is it a command? No. No, it's not a command. So, it's not a matter of, of disobedience or not. I would say it's, it's more of a matter of wisdom. It's a matter of wisdom. It's a matter of, of is this still the pattern that God has called us to? And if so, why? Like, where's the benefit? Why would we still practice this? Like, what's going on? So let me give you some thoughts on that. So I, I believe we should still practice Sabbath, still should have a day of complete rest, even though we're not bound by the Old Testament law. So reasons for that. One, it's, it's part of God's created design. It's part of God's created design. Exodus 16 comes before the law. The law starts to be given in Exodus 20. So Exodus 16 comes before Exodus 20, right? Like in the timeline of what's going on in the nation of Israel, the law has not been given yet. And God still sets forth this pattern of keeping a Sabbath, of having a day of rest where you're not working. This comes before the law. This is actually the first mention of the word Sabbath in your Bible. It comes here in Exodus 16, but it's not the first time somebody has done something for six days and then rested on the seventh. The law even pointed to that fact, and this comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says this, So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. So your Bible starts out with God uh, relaying how he created the world, right? And he tells us how he created everything, right? He created light and darkness and the sun and the moon and the stars and, and, and everything that we see, the earth and all the planets and, and fish and animals and livestock. And then on the sixth day, he created, he created us. He created people, man and woman. He created in his image. He creates everything in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. Now, why? Why did God rest? Was God tired? Was he worn out? Was he like, oh man, that whole creation thing, that was a lot of work. And I need to, I just need to relax it. Let me just kick back and relax. Did God need to, did God need to rest? Did he have to rest? Was he just tired and worn out? No, he's God. He's all powerful and he does not ever get tired. God does not rest on the seventh day because he was tired. He rests on the seventh day to give us a pattern and an example to follow. In fact, he, he created us to live this way, right? And we know this. We know. We don't like to admit it, but we know that we have limits, right? We have limits. We get worn out. We get tired. 
tired. How many of y'all slept last night? Some of y'all with your little ones, you're like, nope, don't know what sleep is right now. We've got babies. We all slept at least a little bit. Even if it was like 30 minutes, an hour, whatever. Some of us need more sleep than others, that's for sure. But, but we all sleep at night for the most part. Or you, maybe you could go a day or two without any sleep, but eventually, man, you are going to crash and burn. It's going to catch up to you, right? We need rest. We need sleep. God designed us to have limits. So when we, when we don't rest, when we don't practice this idea that he gave us, this pattern that he set forth for us, when we don't do that, we are going against our operated design, right? I mean, think of, think of anything that you've, you've bought, you purchased, any kind of technology, equipment, tool, whatever it is. There's always these instructions that say, hey, here's how to use it. And if you don't use it according to this way, what's it say? Like, it's not going to operate as intended, right? It's not going to work the way that you think it's going to work. And that's us. That's us. Every time we don't practice Sabbath, every time we just go, 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 go with no rest, no stopping, no relaxing, no Sabbath, we are going against our created design. We're pushing against the way that God has made us. He made us to work and rest, to work and Sabbath. This is part of how he made us. So Sabbath is part of our created design. Sabbath is also a way that we're set apart for God. This is what he's doing here in Exodus 16. He's giving his people an alternative way to live. Look at verse 23. Look at what it said about the, the Sabbath day. Verse 23 here says, where's it? there it is. He told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Now, word holy is, is scattered all throughout our Bibles, right? You can't read the Bible for many chapters without seeing the word holy come up. This idea of holy, the base definition of that is to be set apart, to be different than, to be other than, right? That's the idea of holy. So when God says set apart the seventh day as holy, he's saying, look, this day is different. It's different. And this whole idea of working six days and resting on the seventh is a different way to live. And that's exactly what God is doing with the nation of Israel. That's why he gives the law. It's like, hey, here's how I want you to live. And it's going to go against what, what the rest of the world is doing. Because my people live according to my ways, not their own, and not just doing what everybody else is doing. So God, in, in, in the form of giving the Sabbath, he is setting apart his people to live a certain way. Now remember what the nation of Israel has just come out of, right? This idea of resting and not working on a seventh day would have just been a completely foreign concept to them. They've been slaves their entire lives. They've had no ownership over their schedule their entire lives. If they were ever given a day off, it wasn't because they put in their vacation request and it got approved, right? No, it would, it, Pharaoh got to decide how often these slaves of his worked and didn't work. And I can probably guarantee, like, there wasn't much resting going on in the nation of Israel, Right? That wasn't an idea that they would be familiar with. So when God says, I want you to work six days and rest on the seventh, that would have been completely different than what they were used to. And that's God's point. It's like saying, I want you to do this. I want you to live differently than the rest of the world. I'm setting you apart from everybody else because my people live according to my ways, not the, the rest of the world. And look, that that's still the case today, right? This idea of, of having a regular pattern of rest 
is very foreign to the secular, worldly work life that we see, right? Like, we don't see a lot of this happening. We are in this, this Western American culture mindset where it's just go, 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 work, 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 right? This idea of, well, I've got to, you know, achieve the American dream and have all these things that I want. I've got these big goals and these big things that I want to do. And in order to get there, man, I got to work, I got to work, I gotta, and I got to work more than everybody else. I got to be better than everybody else. We are very much in a performance-driven society, right? In order to achieve, we, we have to do. And if, if we're not achieving to the level that we think we should or that we want, well, the idea is, well, you're just, you're just not working hard enough, man. You're just not hustling enough. Get out there and hustle. Get out there and do your thing. Like, go, go work, man. Do some more. Pull some more hours. Do some, pull some more weight, man. Whatever you got to do. Right? If you just do enough, man, you'll get to where you want to be. That, that's the idea that we're in. So we work overtime, with or without pay, right? doesn't matter. We're just going to put in the hours. We work on the weekends, we work when we're supposed to be on vacation, right? How many of you all, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you all have work or currently work in a place that where it is celebrated if you worked on the weekends or on vacation, right? I was in a place like that, a Christian company, no less, where if you were on vacation and you worked, the next staff was like, oh, look at, look at so-and-so working on, working on their vacation. Look how awesome they are. Look how dedicated they are. That was never said of me in those moments. I'm like, no, I'm off. I'm on vacation. Do not call me because I'm not answering, right? I never had a problem with that. I'm just kidding. We all struggle with this to, to some degree. But, but we live in this idea where we are defined by our performance. We are defined by our doing. So we, we have to perform. We have to do. And we can't stop because that means well, somebody else is going to just come right past me. And they're going to get the promotion instead of me. They're going to be praised in staff meeting instead of me. No, I got, I got to get that. I got to earn that. So I keep going. And I go and I go and I go and I go. So we work all the time. We don't allow ourselves to just stop rest and we're, we're just living like the rest of the culture around us part of stopping and resting is saying you know what Jesus I'm going to live according to your ways I'm going to love you more than my job I'm going to love you and your ways more than my boss I'm going to desire your approval which I already have in Jesus more than the approval that comes from my boss I'm going to love you more than that promotion I'm going to trust you for my provision rather than how many hours I put in at my job So we rest We rest all right, so it's, uh, it's a way that we, we live differently. We, we follow God's path instead of the world's. And lastly, the, the reason why we uh, should still practice the Sabbath and, and how it's a gift uh, or God's blessing to us is just that, that it's God's gift to us. It's God's gift to us. Look at, look at verse 27 again. Look at verse 27. It says, Yet on the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they did not find any. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse my commands and instructions? Understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he will give you two days' worth of bread. Each of you will stay where you are. No one is to leave his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So remember, God told them, look, don't go out on the seventh day. There, there's going to be no man, and there's going to be nothing to gather. Don't do it. Just stay inside. Relax. Rest. Just, just take a minute. Just, just calm down. It's okay. Just, just chill for a day. And yet, there were still some people that were like, well, yeah, but what if, what if he's just kidding? Like, what if it's just a test? What if it's a test, y'all? You don't know. What if God's testing us, and we don't go out to gather, and we run out of food, and the food's all gone, and I didn't gather any, and I ran out of food, and because God, he was just testing us, he was just trying to trick us, but I, you know, I'm not going to fall for that, so I'm going to go out on the seventh day. So they go on the seventh day, and what do they find? Nothing. Nothing. Because God told them there would be nothing. And I'm sure God was like, what are y'all doing? 
what are y'all doing? Did I not tell you not to do this? Stay inside. No, I actually truthfully do want you to rest and relax and not work. It's not a trick. It's not a test, right? Like God probably was like, what are y'all doing? I know I would have been like, I'm like what, what is the matter with y'all? Did I not just tell you this? Come on now. So they go on the Sabbath. And, and what does God say? That he's given us the Sabbath. This idea of resting is a gift to us. It's a gift from God. And every time we, we work, work, work with no rest, with no regular break, with no habit of resting and practicing this idea of a Sabbath, we're just rejecting that gift. We're telling God, no, get that out of here. I don't want that, right? I'm going to imagine you, you, you're trying to give a gift to someone you really love. Maybe it's your spouse, your kids, family member, whatever it is. You got this idea, you're like, oh, man, they would love this. Like, they've been saying they want this. They've been saying they really like it, so I'm going to get that for them. So you get that for them, and they open that gift, and then they just throw it in the trash can. Like, no, get that out of here. Like, well, you know, that is your gift, so technically you can do whatever you want to with it. But, man, that would, that would hurt. That would kind of sting a little bit, right? That would hurt a little bit. Or I think, you know, when my kids were little, and, you know, we, you know, we give them these Christmas presents, these birthday presents, and they're like, you know, one, two, three years old. What do they love more than the gift? They, they love the wrapping paper. It's like they just love trash more than the actual gift that, that we've given them. It's like, what are you play, why are you playing with trash when I spent hard-earned money on the gift, the toy that you wanted that I thought you would like, and here you are playing. I should have just given you trash. You just opened the trash can and said, here, play in here. You Clearly, you just want to play with trash. Like, that's the idea of us rejecting the Sabbath is we are choosing trash over the gift that God has given us. It is a gift that is meant to be enjoyed. And look, God gives us good gifts. Let's not reject that. This is what Jesus says about the Sabbath, Mark 2, 27. It says, then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now, this passage, this verse, comes in the context of Jesus' disciples walking through a grain field. They pick some grain to eat because they were hungry. And then Jesus goes to the temple and heals a man who had a broken, crippled hand. Heals him, completely restores him, and the Pharisees were mad about it. They were like, no, we don't do that on the Sabbath. No, that's called working, and we don't work on the Sabbath. See, what happened in the nation of Israel, these, these, uh, this idea of well, in order to live righteously, man, we've got to put all these rules and boundaries on the Sabbath. So it really turned into to just this, this stress and work of like, well, what am I allowed to do and not do on the Sabbath? Does this count as work? So I can't eat on the Sabbath. I can't pick grain because that counts as working. She's like, I can't, I can't heal somebody on the Sabbath because that counts as, like, that's crazy. That's crazy, man. If anybody needed to just chill and relax, it was the Pharisees. Like, you were just this tightly wound ball of stress. Dude, just chill, man. Just chill. Like, that's what Jesus is telling them. That's Travis's translation here is Jesus just said to the Pharisees, chill, bro. Just chill. Just relax a minute, okay? Take a beat. Take, take a minute and just chill. That's what Jesus is telling us, too. The, the Sabbath was made for man. God gives this to us as a gift, and it's meant to be enjoyed. Let's not reject that gift. So why do we practice Sabbath today? It's because it's not just God's gift, but it's also part of how God made us. It's part of his design. All right, number two, number two, if you're taking notes, another reason we practice the Sabbath is the Sabbath points us to Jesus. The Sabbath points us to Jesus. Not only is it a gift from God, not only is it meant to be enjoyed, not only is it how we were designed and created, when we practice the Sabbath, when we have this regular pattern of resting, it points us to Jesus. It reminds us of Jesus. The, the, the ultimate point of the Sabbath is for us to rest so that we can remember and celebrate 
and, and just praise God for his blessings and provision and grace in our lives. That's why he's given us this. Look again at verses 31 here in Exodus 16. See, God's doing two things in this passage, right? He's providing the manna and he's calling his people to practice a Sabbath. Now, there's, those things are awesome in and of themselves, but there's, there's a deeper meaning here. There's a deeper thing that God is doing. Verse 31 says, The house of Israel named the substance manna. It represented coriander seed and was white and tasted like wafers made with honey. I mean, that alone is just God's goodness right there. Like, he didn't have to make the manna taste so good. Like, like, man, stuff with honey, like, yeah, sign me up for that. He could have just made it like, it, this just tastes like nothing. It's just pure substance and it's just meant to fulfill a need. But God's like, no, I love you so much. I'm gonna make it actually taste good. Like, that's just, that's a separate idea. We don't have time to camp out there. So he, he made it taste like wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Two quarts of it are to be preserved throughout your generation so that they may see the bread I fed you in the wilderness. When I brought you out of the land of Egypt, Moses told Aaron, take a container, put two quarts of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be preserved throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron placed it before the testimony to be preserved. Okay, so there was, there was eventually a time where the manna stopped, right? They get to the promised land. God doesn't have to miraculously provide bread for them anymore. But what does he tell them to do? He tells them to take a container and store it forever in the container. Now, again, keep in mind, like, this, this stuff spoiled the next day. So anything that was kept until the next day spoiled. It was gone. It was bad. You couldn't eat it. So God miraculously preserves this manna for hundreds and hundreds of years. Eventually, it gets put in the Ark of the Covenant to be carried with the nation of Israel forever and ever. Like, that was the intention. Now, why would he do that? It's because every time they saw that manna, they were to be reminded of God's goodness, of God's grace, of God's love and provision for them. It's the same with the Sabbath. Why does God call his people to have a regular Sabbath, to make this a regular part of their lives? It's because part of that, part of the intention there is every time we rest from our work, every time we stop and we sit and we rest and we relax, part of what we're to do is to remember the gift of God. Remember his goodness and his grace in our lives. Remember his provision, right? That's what we talked about last week. Why are we generous? Part of the reasons we're generous is, is because we, we want to trust God with everything that he trusts us with, right? Like it's his stuff ultimately. We want to be good stewards of what he's given. So part of being generous and being wise with the finances that God has given us is an act of trust. It's saying, I trust you for my provision. I trust you with my money and finances, not myself, not my job, not the ways of the world. It's the same with the Sabbath. When we stop from our doing, what we're saying is, God, I trust you for my provision. I trust you to provide for me, to take care of me. I don't, I don't trust my job. I don't put my trust in my boss. I put my trust in Jesus. See, here's the thing. The Israelites like actually had to go out and gather every day, right? Like if they didn't go and gather the manna, they didn't have food. If somebody's just like, ah, you know what? I don't need to gather that manna. I'm just going to find something else. Guess what? You're in the desert, man. You're not going to find anything else. There's no more food to be found. This is it, bro. Like, this is what you got to do. Gather the manna. So it was actually life and death. Like, they actually had to gather. So I, I was kind of poking fun of the Israelites who went out on the seventh day. Like, what were you doing? What would you expect to happen? But, like, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. There was probably a little bit of fear and uncertainty. Like, man, if... What if I didn't gather enough on the sixth day? What if I thought I gathered enough for two days, but I didn't actually? Like, maybe I do need to go out and gather. Like, it was a little bit more of a matter of life and death. Now, I don't know your situation, but most of the time when we work, it's not a matter of life and death. Now, if that's you, if you're like, man, if I don't work and I don't get paid, then I don't have food for my family. Like, if that's you, I just want you to hear this. Your church is here for you. 
please come and, and find me, find one of our elders. Like, we want to be here to help you. Like, you shouldn't have to worry about that. Like, God wants to provide, and one of the ways that he does provide for you is through the church. Like, and that's another reason why we give, right? That's another way why we tithe and bring offerings to the Lord is so that we can meet needs. So if that's you, if you're like, man, no, I'm, I really am. Like, if I, if I lose this job, like, I'm just done. Like, I can't provide for my family if I don't work these extra hours. Like, I can't provide enough. Like, please come and talk to me, okay? But for most of us, for most of the time that we're working, and we work these extra hours, it's not because we absolutely have to. It's because we want to. It's because we want to. You're like, no, Travis, I don't like working this much. Okay, then don't. We're like, well, if I don't do that, then I don't get the promotion. Then, then my boss will be upset with me. Then, you know, I won't, you know, somebody else will get ahead of me. Okay, well, that, that's what I'm talking about. That's why we say, like, you want to. We, we do this because, because we want to. See, when we rest, we rest, what we're doing is we're saying, God, I, I trust you more than my job. I look to you for my provision and for approval than I do my job, my boss, the ways of this world. So we stop and we rest. Having a Sabbath is also a way that we worship God. It's an act of worship. Like I said, this idea of the Sabbath carried into the New Testament, but in the New Testament, things shifted. So in the New Testament, people, uh, other than Jewish people, are coming to faith in Jesus, right? You got these Gentiles coming to the church, and they have no background of a regular Sabbath, man. They wanted to rest. They rested whenever they wanted to. It wasn't this regular practice thing that they did with their schedule, like the way the Jewish people did. So they're coming in with, like, no background of that whatsoever, but what happened was this incredible moment happened where, where things shifted with the church, right? It went from practicing the Sabbath on the seventh day, and we, we regarded that day is holy to now New Testament Christians shifted it to the first day of the week, Sunday. And that became known as what was called throughout the New Testament, the Lord's Day. And there's this regular pattern of the people of God, the church coming together on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, Sunday, to gather as the people of God. And that's how the Sabbath shifted into the New Testament. And look, that's why we still worship on Sundays. Like, why do we not worship on Tuesday nights? We could, absolutely. Like, there's no, like, command that we have to gather on Sundays. But the pattern has been for centuries that the church gathers together, first and foremost, on Sundays. Like, that's the, that's the main bulk of our gathering is on Sundays. That's the Lord's Day. That's when we gather together and celebrate and worship God. So this idea of practicing a Sabbath is worship. It's a way that we worship. It's a way that we, we pause from everything else going on in life and we remember Jesus, and we celebrate Jesus. And lastly, why we practice the Sabbath and how it points us to Jesus is the Sabbath reminds us that, that true, ultimate rest is found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. It's what Jesus says in Matthew 28. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that word here used for rest, the word that Jesus uses, is the same word for Sabbath in our Old Testament. Same word for Sabbath. And here Jesus is talking about far more than resting from just one day a week of our work. He's talking about something far deeper, that we need rest from something far more than just our day-to-day, -day, daily grind, our, our, our jobs, whatever it is, right? We need rest from more than that. So what's the rest Jesus is talking about? Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 says, Therefore a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. 
For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. The rest that Jesus is talking about, the rest that we truly ultimately need, is resting from our own works. Is resting and finding rest from this idea that we can get to God on our own that we can earn salvation, that we can earn love, that we can earn approval, that we can earn forgiveness on our own. We can't get to God on our own. There is never, never a chance, a way that we could ever get to the point where our works have somehow earned us God's favor and righteousness and forgiveness and salvation. It can't happen. So if you are hoping that one day when you stand before God at the end of your life that your good deeds have outweighed your bad deeds and somehow he's going to go, Travis, good job. You, you did enough. You're in, man. That's not coming. That is not happening. And if that's the route we're going, man, we just got to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying to earn and earn and earn. And that is not what God wants from us. That is not the way God gives us salvation. We don't get salvation because we've earned it, because we've done enough good in our lives. No, we have it because of Jesus. So when he says, enter my rest, that's what he's talking about. That we can rest from our doing, that we can rest from our earning, that we can rest from our performing. We don't have to do any of that for God. The only thing he asks is faith. It's trust in him. And we put our faith and our trust in him, we enter into that rest. And having a regular pattern of rest in our lives reminds us of that incredible truth that we don't have to earn our way to God, that we find our true ultimate rest in Jesus. So we rest from our doing, from our working, so that we can remember and celebrate and be reminded of the rest that Jesus provides for us. And this points forward to, to the day of ultimate rest, right? Like uh, the day where we spend eternity in the presence of God, free from all sin and evil and destruction and, and the wickedness and the brokenness that is all over our world. One day we will spend eternity in the presence of God and perfected new heavens, new earth, and it is going to be awesome. And that, that is the true ultimate rest that we are, we're going towards, that's promised to us. And look, when we, when we practice that here, when we rest from our doing here, it reminds us and points us forward and helps us prepare for an eternity of rest. So resting Sabbath reminds us and points us to Jesus. So how do we, how do, we do this, this Sabbath? How do we practice that today? Let me end with this. Let me give you four principles that I've, I've stolen from Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Phenomenal book. One of my favorite books I've ever read. I learned so much from it. If you have not read it, I encourage you, buy it, get it, read it. If you can't afford it, let me know. I will buy it for you. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. And he gives four principles of, of resting, of Sabbathing for us today. So how do we rest? How do we, how do we actually Sabbath the way that God intends? Well, one, we, we stop. We actually have to stop. You have to actually stop working to Sabbath, right? Imagine that, right? That's a crazy idea. What that means is you actually have to put your work down and walk away from it, right? Put your phone up, turn your email off, close your computer down, shut it down, whatever you got to do to where you are now unavailable and inaccessible for, for work, do that. That's how you stop. If you stay, like, and that's the thing, like we are connected 24-7 if we want to be. So we actually have to do a little bit more work to, to disconnect, 
to say I'm actually stopping from my work. So how do we practice Sabbath? We, we pick a day and we stop. We actually stop. We stop working. And then you actually have to rest. That's the second thing. So you stop and then you rest. I know a lot of guys, especially people, men, women, whoever it is, like they can stop, but I mean, you're not going to rest. You're going to find something to busy yourself and keep yourself busy and just do and do and do and stay that tightly bound, bound ball of stress that you always are. You're just going to find another way. If you're not working, you're doing something, and that's just how you're wired. Like, I, I get it. Some of you are just like, man, I can't, I can't I, I can stop, but I'm not, I'm not going to rest. No, you need to rest, okay? Just relax a little bit. Chill, bro, right? Like, that's, that's Mark 227 in Travis's translation. Chill, bro. We have to rest. So find something that will actually bring rest and enjoyment and refreshment to your life. That's what we do on the Sabbath. Do stuff that you enjoy doing, that you have fun doing, that you might not do during the week because you're, you're too busy and you got too much to do, right? I promise you, that to-do list will be there tomorrow. You can pick right back up with the next item. Promise you, not going anywhere. And guess what? You can work all day this day, every day this week, every single day, every single hour of the day if you could. And guess what's going to happen the next day? There's going to be more work, more stuff to do. It doesn't go anywhere. So just stop and rest and do something that actually is fun and enjoyable. And then a third principle of, of Sabbathing is, is delighting, is, is, is finding delight and enjoying God's blessings in your life. Right? Actually stopping and enjoying God's blessing. Like that, that's what God did on the seventh day. He rested and he looked at his creation and was like, man, this is awesome. This is cool. That's what we should do too. On the seventh day, I mean, we look at what God has done in our lives we, and we celebrate that. And again, that's, that's a part of why I hope part of your Sabbath, if you're not working on Sundays, is, is gathering here to do exactly that, to, to delight and worship Jesus. So we, we delight. And then the fourth one, we, we contemplate. We contemplate. We, we take time to just reflect on God and to be with God. Like I know many of y'all are, are just busy during the week, right? So when we talk about having a personal devotional time, reading the Bible, praying, you're like, man, I got, if I don't wake up at like 5 a.m., I might have 15 minutes at night or, or I might have like 20 minutes during my lunch break, right? If I eat quick, you know, then I can spend some time with Jesus. So I get it. Like during the week, maybe we just got a little bit of time here and there. But that's why we need this, this regular pattern of stopping and resting so we can spend some focused time with the Lord and just be with him. So that's how we practice that. With we stop, we rest, we delight, and we contemplate. So pick a day, any day, right? It doesn't have to be today. If you're like, man, no, I'm, I'm here right now, but I got to go to work like later on. Like, I get it. Some of y'all's jobs require you to be at work on Sunday. I get it. It might not be Sundays every week. It might not be Saturdays every week. It might be a Thursday, right? Like, I don't know. Whatever your schedule is, pick a day and set aside that day, right? Just as the Lord calls you, make that day holy. Make it different. Set it aside for God. And then build your schedule out from there, right? Like, look, I'm just telling y'all, I know it. If we don't schedule this, for some of y'all, it's not going to happen. So put it in your calendar, block out that day, whatever you got to do to help yourself out here, do it. This is God's gift to us, right? Let's not reject that. Let's, let's enjoy God's gift. Let's rest and remember and celebrate where our true ultimate rest comes from, and that's Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us, and we will uh, move into a time of worship and communion like we do every single Sunday. So every time we gather, church, you know this. If you've been around, if you're new, this is what we do every single week. We, we have this time of, of worship and, and preaching and teaching, and then, and then some more time of worship and, and response time is really what this is. And part of our response is, is stepping into communion, 
So for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, this time is for you to, to, to prepare our hearts and, and to spend time with Jesus, right? That's why we do this every single Sunday is to take time and just sit and remember and reflect and worship Jesus for what he's done for us. So I would encourage you, if you put your faith in Jesus, again, this is the time for you. If you're not a believer, I love that you're here. Please keep coming. But, but this communion time, it's not for you. It's only for those who have put their faith in Jesus. So if that is you, that you're here and you've put your faith in Jesus, it's a time for us, again, to sit and reflect and worship. So I encourage you, every believer in here, as I pray in a moment, I encourage you just spend some time in prayer, maybe in repentance, maybe if you realize, man, I've been, I've been living for my work and not for you, Jesus, man, I need to repent of that and, and Lord, help me see the beauty and the goodness of rest and all that, like maybe you just need to repent. Maybe you just need to sit and, and just worship and celebrate and enjoy God for a moment, right? Like just be like, man, God, you're so good. You are so good. And as your hearts are ready, as you're prepared, we go to either table and we take the bread and we take the cup and we remember that Jesus gave his life for ours, that he shed his blood for our sins, and through faith in him, we have forgiveness. So again, as you're ready, you go to either side of the table, you take, you eat, and we worship our good God and Savior. Amen, church? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, for all that you've done, Lord. Thank you for this gift that, that is rest, Lord, that we find our rest in you, that we don't have to do, that we don't have to perform, that we don't have to earn for you, Jesus, that you give us everything in Christ. Everything that we could ever want, everything that we could ever need is found in you, Jesus. Help us see that. Help us remember that, Lord. And help us rest, Lord. Help us, help us stop and relax and, and remember and celebrate you, Lord. Lord, give us the strength and, and the trust to actually put this into practice, to actually stop and rest, and enjoy you, Lord. So we thank you for all that you are. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for this gift that is the Sabbath, that is rest. Lord, give us, give us the heart to walk in obedience to that, Lord. We love you, and we praise you. We ask all this in your powerful name. Amen.